Welcome to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs from Steadfast Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we show high-level executives and business owners why comprehensive financial planning and executive bonus structures don't have to be too good to be true. Keith draws on his experience in realistic financial planning, and expert guests share his two cents about academically-based financial planning that you have to hear to believe. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, this is Keith Beggs, founder and CEO of Steadfast Wealth Strategies and the host of the My Two Cents podcast. Today, we have outkicked our coverage to use a football analogy and have just an unbelievable guest on with us, Lawrence Black. Before we bring him on, I kind of just want to go over his bio and his accolades. Lawrence is the founder of the Index Standard, an index advisor to Professor Robert J. Schiller. If you guys have worked with us in the past, you know we love the Schiller indexes. The Index Standard is an information portal providing ratings, forecasts, and guides, unmasking the mystique behind indices and making finance more approachable. Early in his career, Lawrence instigated the Schiller Barclays Index family with Barclays and Professor Schiller. That's something that we use often over here at Steadfast. He has appeared in interviews with the Financial Times, Bloomberg, and Structured Retail Products, and is a frequent contributor on the Index Thought Leader. Uh, excuse me, on Index Thought Leader pieces. Prior to this, Lawrence was a managing director at Barclays, where he held the position of global head of QIS organization and development. He had responsibility for developing the QIS index range for index partnerships, and for working with clients to deliver multi-asset solutions based on their needs. Lawrence instigated and led Barclays Index Partnerships with Professor Siller, Rubini, Novus, and GAM. Lawrence was the head of indexes at ABN, AMRO, before joining Barclays, where he built the index business over a seven-year period. He has previously held training and client account management roles at Lehman Brothers, Deutsche Bank, and Credit Suisse. He holds an MBA from the University of Warwick, UK, and a bachelor's degree from the University of Cape Town, South Africa. That is a mouthful. Lawrence has done quite a bit, and we are truly honored to have him uh, on the podcast today. So, Lawrence, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Keith. It's great to be with you today. So, Lawrence, let's jump right into this. We try to keep these kind of tight. What, why indexing, right? We, we're seeing index annuities. We're seeing index life insurance. You know, they are the, the fastest growing, I think, market segments out there. Uh, don't quote me on that, but typically by the numbers, that's what we're seeing. So what is the benefit for the client? Why are we seeing this shift? Sure. So I think let me take a step back and talk about why indexing has been so successful over the last sort of decade and a half. I think what people in the market have really realized is a couple of things. Firstly, indices have outperformed active funds. So that is really an astounding finding. It's sort of something that people began to realize in the early 80s and 90s. But now it's quite commonly accepted that index funds outperform active managers. And one of the reasons is, you know, active managers have high fees and indices or index funds typically have low fees. So it's a much lower hurdle to outperform. And then, you know, secondly, the markets think about the S&P 500 or NASDAQ have just performed spectacularly well over the last couple of years. So it's been really difficult to outperform from that point of view. But I think there's actually a big sort of second reason why indices have done really well. And it's also the following. So the way you can think about indices, think about them as Lego blocks. So you can build an index to track any kind of sort of specific factor, theme. You know, for example, you can have 
indices that track value, momentum, growth, low volatility. Or you can have themes such as technology, AI, ESG, green. So you've got all these themes and all these factors and all these regions. And and think about them as your Lego blocks. So what you can do is for any particular client, you have a client who wants a specific kind of portfolio. You can build them a castle with with your yellow blocks, or you can build them a house with green and pink blocks, or you could build them a car, whatever kind of portfolio that client needs. You can use indices as the building block. So that's why they've been tremendously successful. And then the last fee that the last point that I mentioned is fees are very low on index funds. And it's all about the fees. Low fees equals higher returns to your clients. So that's why a lot of advisors have gravitated to them. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the active management thing is obvious, but it's a hard one for people to get over. People want to think that there's someone out there that knows the secret. Right, that, that there's someone out there that you know they can count on that beat the market were to take them to the promised land. And they've been told that for so long that changing that mindset that that's not the way to do it, that the way to do it is with diversification and balance and just to let the, the actual market itself be the growth pattern it is a hard thing for people to get their head around because they want to put their trust in one person that that's the right guy that, that can do everything for them. So yeah, that, that's something we we fight with a lot with clients because there are still guys out there that'll tell them that they can do it, that they got guys and gals, excuse me, that they have the secret sauce or that they can do those type of things. So Lawrence, I know you work specifically or a lot with index annuities, especially with your partnership with Schiller. And one of the things that not a hurdle, but something that we often hear with clients when we're talking about these, they have what they're those called modifiers on them, right? We're not experiencing any of the downside risk. So there has to be some kind of modifier on growth. There's no, no such thing as all the good with none of the bad. And that is typically done with caps or participation rates, right? That's what, what you commonly see out there. And, and which, one of the questions that we get asked all the time and that I do a, a terrible job answering is who gets the extra, right? They feel like if they have a 5% cap on the S&P per se and the market goes up 8 that the insurance company is getting that extra 3%, right? That they're getting all that growth. And, and we know that's not the case. Um, they're buying in, they're, you know, they're buying options on these indexes and things, but that's a common question we get. So let me ask you, how do carriers price these indexes, right? What, what is, what goes through, what's their thought process or their strategy or their formula for to getting to the caps or participation rates that they have? Sure. Well, I mean, that's a great question. Cause you know, I get that question a lot and let me go through it. So the way it really works is an insurance company will take the money that the policyholder will, will send to them. And what they'll do is typically invest that in investment grade bonds. Right. So, you know, let's say investment grade bonds have gotten much lower yield than the past. Let's say right now, investment grade bonds are yielding anywhere from two and a half to four. Right. Now, one of the issues is a couple of years ago, let's say 10 years ago, those kind of bonds were yielding six, seven percent. So yields have come down. And that means the insurance companies have a less sort of a budget to buy an option on the S&P 500. So in answer to sort of one of your questions is there's no extra really. What's happened in the market is yields have come down and that has really hurt the ability of the insurance companies to provide sort of extra participation. Now, you know, secondly, each insurance company has, you know, various levers that they can pull to kind of increase that participation. And, and let me give you an example, two particular ones. So if the insurance company decided, well, we wanted to offer higher participation, they could invest in some riskier bonds. 
Because if you, let's say, instead of investing in investment grade bonds, they invest in high yield bonds, they're going to get a higher yield. They're going to get a higher return on the policyholders' money, and then they've got more money to spend on that option. But of course, you know, they're taking more risk. So they're putting their own earning stream at risk. So that's certainly one lever that they can pull. You know, the, the second lever that the insurance company has is they will make a certain return. And then they've got their costs. So they have to cover their own costs of their employees and their hedging. And then how much money do they want to return to their own shareholders? So each insurance company then has to sort of make that decision. You know, once they're earning certain return on those bonds, then how much do they sort of allocate to policyholders and how much do they allocate to shareholders? So that's another lever that they can pull. And, you know, each company, it will look at that differently. And hence, you see a different range of participation rates on the S&P 500. Same index, different participation rates. So those are the things that drive it. It's really the credit spreads. And then the, how much profitability does that uh, company want to show? And are they trying to attract new clients by offering higher participation rates? So, that, so those are the three things that sort of drive the participation rate. And, you know, say the other thing is there's a, a common perception in the market that it's the 10-year yield. I mean, of course, the 10-year yield is linked to the credit spreads, but it's more the credit spreads that drive how much, how much money the insurance company is able to generate. And then that's what they use to buy options on all these indices that we see in the fixed index annuity space now keep. Right. So what they're doing is they, th- th- that investment grade bonds, that's in their general account, right? So they have their general Correct. account. They're getting, let's say 4% was the number you used. Their costs are 2%. That's the cost of their company, their employees, everything they do. So they have 2% left spread between what they're making in their general account and what they can offer the client. And what we're doing on the index side is instead of just taking that 2% guarantee, we're buying options on the indexes because we believe over time markets work better, but we don't know by when and how much. That's exactly it. That's a good, uh, that's a good way to put it. Now, now, another thing that comes into that pricing is, is volatility, right? The cost of options. So one thing that Schiller's done with some of his indexes is they've gone to these longer term kind of point to points, right? Um, they've, instead of a one-year, a two-year, because that, that lowers the cost of volatility. How much does the cost of volatility play into this? And you know, we get some people when we're talking that you know they that getting something every year just kind of feels really good. But I'll let you speak to the numbers. You've studied the numbers more than I do. The longer term tends to have a higher yield, does it not? Exactly. So let, let me talk about two things. One is, you know, what drives the cost of that option and then sort of the benefits of going for a longer lockup. So firstly, the cost of an option, really, the main thing that drives the cost of that option is going to be volatility. So let me give you a, a simple example. Let's look at the S&P over the last year or two. The, let's assume the volatility, the volatility is around 20 So if you give me $100, you know, let's say I may have to pay you out $20, right? Mm -hmm. So then let's look at a risk control index that has a volatility of 5%. You know, maybe I'm going to have to pay you out $5 because, you know, it's got a lower, with a 5% um, volatility, it means the sort of potential payouts are a lot lower. I may have to pay you out $3, $4, $5. In the case of the S&P with a volatility of 20, I may, be, may have to pay you out 15, 20, 25, 30. So 
just to kind of um, give you the analogy without going into complex option pricing, if you know that I may have to pay out, let's say, $20 for the S&P, or if I may have to pay out $5 for a risk control index, well, I'm going to charge you more if I have to pay you out that $20, right? So my option cost on the S&P is going to be more expensive than, let's say, a risk control index. So that is the key thing that determines the price, volatility. So options on the S&P 500 are going to be more expensive because they're more volatile. They move around a lot more. And the probability of them having to, the, the bank, the hedger having, and the insurance company having to pay you out more is higher. So therefore, they're going to charge you more. So the other thing is also, if you look around at the S&P volatility, it moves around a lot, right? The long-term historical volatility is about 17. But, you know, you think back to March 2020, the volatility was almost 80. So if you're pricing an option, yeah, were you putting in volatility of 17 or volatility of 80? That makes a huge difference. So that really means the participation rates on the SME are going to move around a lot because right. of this volatility. But then contrast that with the risk control indices. They're designed to have a volatility of 5%, and they pretty much keep that target most of the time. So their option prices are much more stable. And that's why you see it in the participation rates right now, you'll see 35 to 40 on the S&P and you can still get a hundred, maybe even over a hundred on these volatility control indexes. And it's, they're more consistent. If you you know use a sports analogy, the S&P, you're going to have some strikeouts and, a, and some home runs, right? Last year was a home run. And the volatility control indexes are really trying to consistently hit that single and double. And in my mind, if you're using these products correctly and you're positioning to the client correctly, the volatility control index gives us a much better chance of doing what we're hoping the product does. This, this should not be really the home run money, right? This is what we're designing these products for. And you can um, kind of affirm or, or, or speak on this behalf is we're, we're trying to get a four to 6% annual rate of return. We're trying to be fixed rates with safe money, but we're not expecting to get the 12s and the 15s and the 20s all the time. And so like last year, if you would have been in a par with the S&P, you would have had an amazing year, right? And the volatility control index did, didn't have as good as you because the volatility was so high. But if you're looking over a 10-year time period, the consistency of that volatility control indexes gives you a much higher probability of tightening that range of reality to four to six, where if you're in the S&P, your, your range of reality might be zero to seven or zero to eight. And so it's really what you're trying to accomplish. And if you're using this you know, correctly in our mind, the volatility control index gives us just a much higher percentage of doing what we want to do still with some market risk in there because we are in market. So there is no guarantee on that. Is, is that right, Lawrence? You know, you've hit the nail on the head. You're exactly right. These volt control are designed for stability and smooth returns, and they aim to cushion you on the downside. Let, let me add one further comment to what you added because it was exactly correct. And this is the following. So going back to our example you know, let's say that the insurance company had $2 to spend on an option. With the S&P, because that option cost is, is high, they might only be able to buy one unit of an option for the S&P. But if you look at the risk control index, because of that 5% volatility, the option price is much cheaper. They might be able to buy two or two and a half units of that option for the risk control index. So you might see a higher participation. You could see a participation anywhere from 100 to 200 percent. 
So you're getting a very stable return, but then also potentially you're getting you know, higher participation, maybe 150, 200% participation in those returns. So that is some of the benefits of those risk control index. As you say, they're really designed for singles, but also the way I think about them, they should be, they're actually very complementary to the S&P 500. So you want to have a, a slice of the S&P 500 maybe in your client's portfolio for those home runs, but you want to kind of marry that with some different risk control indices that provide you diversification. You provide you exposures to different regions. So mm-hmm. the other thing that we sort of look at is everyone talks about the S&P and how well it's doing, and but the S&P has had a fantastic last 10 years, right? But then I, I was doing some work. If you go back to the 1970s and you look at the five-year rolling returns and you go S&P minus international stocks, what you find is those returns go up and down, right? In actual yes, fact, yes. what we find is in 46% of the time, international markets outperform the S&P, right? So I think we also got to remember to build diversified portfolios for our clients because you know, the S&P, maybe in the next 10 years, it doesn't have such a fantastic performance. So you want to build in different kind of exposures for your clients. And that's where you can use these risk control indices as well. Right. If you look from 2000 to 2010, it was really small, small value and international that if you were diversified correctly, you were able to get through what's called the lost decade with about a five to six percent annualized rate of return, right? But you had to be using modern portfolio theory. You had to have diversification in different asset classes in different countries. What happens is we're very short-sighted with investments and the S&P was really strong, 95 to 99. And so people were chasing it and they get in there and they're, they're quick to chase, but they're slow to, you know, then they're slow to get out. Right. And then they, they ride it out for a decade. Then we, you know, we've had another run. So we don't know when that balance of spins is going to happen, but it, it, you know, probably when you're looking at your charts, what was it once up will soon be down and what's down will soon be up when it comes to asset classes and countries, when it comes to investments. So Lawrence, these products were designed as a safe money alternative, or at least we positioned them where we believe they are for our clients as safe money alternatives, primarily to bonds right? You mentioned fees earlier, advisors, and we do as well because you're obligated to charge fees on bond accounts, right? You're obligated to charge a fee for managing a client's account. And they're typically charging the same fee that they do on the equity account. So if I'm expecting an equity account to, to annualize over a period of time of eight to nine, uh, that 1% fee is a much smaller percentage of eight than a bond portfolio where, where typically clients have been expecting three to four. It's almost 25 to 30% of the bond portfolio comes back as a fee, you know, going back to your fee conversation, the annuity gives you a huge jump right there just in the fee structure. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, you do a lot of forecasting. I'm not a huge forecaster in some regards with, with equities, but especially when we're talking about bonds and safe money here, if you're paying a 1% fee, what, what, are, what can clients expect to get out of a bond portfolio over the next 10 years versus what we're talking about here with some of these index options? Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. So at the index standard, what we do is we rate these indices. So we're like the JD powers, we we rate them. And then we also have a tool where we look at forecasting. And one of the processes that we do to enable our forecasts is we go to about 30 um, asset managers and we take their forecasts across all asset classes. So we look at equities, US, international, across all factors. We look at bonds, long, mid, short-term bonds in the Barclays Act. And let's focus on the Barclays Ag. So in the last 10 years, the Barclays Ag has returned about 4.5%, which is actually a pretty good return. Now, however, 
what's the look what, what's the the future look like well according to the these 35 or 30 asset managers it's about round about one to two percent on the Barclays AG so it's going to be much lower and to sort of back that up there's some academic research by a company called research affiliates and what they've done is they've gone and looked at a hundred years worth of fixed income returns and they what they found was that there's a very high correlation to the starting yield and the next 10 year returns. So basically, if your starting yield is 10%, you can get around 10%. If your starting yield is about 1%, you can get around 1%. So let's look at where the 10 year is. Well, the 10 year as we speak today is round about you know, 1.4 to 1.6. So you know, realistically, if you were to invest in 10 year bonds, you can expect, let's just say one and a half percent. That's very low. That's a kind of round about the same numbers we're seeing on the ag. It's between one and 2%. But then the other thing you've got to think about, Keith, is what, what's happening with inflation. Yeah. Historically, inflation has been two and a half. Right now it's printing at 6.2. Maybe it comes down, but even if inflation settles at two to three, you're getting a negative real return on fixed income. So that's why you actually be, do want to begin to think about annuities and these fixed index um, products with, with these indices, with these risk control indices. They can offer you these kind of safe returns or stable returns that fixed income used to offer, but it's no longer going to offer going forward. Right. I mean, if you're thinking about getting 1.75 and your advisor is getting 1%, your advisor is making more money off of your money than you are in your fixed income factor and inflation. Yeah. And you're looking to get a negative two to 3% yield on an annual basis. You, you cannot keep up lifestyle with, with that pattern. And I know bonds have been a comfort for 30, 40, 50 years when it comes to fixed income. Bonds and CDs have just kind of been the go-to. But I, I, you know, I, with the volatility now and, and with interest rate, you know, with, with, with the market we're in, now is the time to be looking at some of these alternative options or ideas out there, especially when you can eliminate that fee. Even if you were getting four and a half, your fee takes you to three and a half. Right. I mean, on, on the average investor, I definitely think now is the time. And with the volatility control indexes, as you spoke to and you guys keep studying, we can't there's no guarantees. Right. We are using markets, but that volatility control, our percentage of hitting the target is is way higher than when these first products came out. And really, you're on the S&P. That's really what your option was. These volatility control indexes, if you look at the the 10 year historicals, no matter when you've kind of would have gotten into these, they're all going to be pretty tight. And we don't want a large range reality with these products. That's not the goal. The goal is to really tighten that range of reality and outproduce fixed income. Talk a little bit about real quick, and then we'll jump off of here, your work with Schiller. And, and does he have maybe some forecasting? Is there any new indexes that you see coming on, on these products or changes to the indexes or the, the thought process of the indexes moving forward with indexes? So let me make two observations. I'd, I'd say one is that there is a technique called risk control that we've seen being used for the last couple of years. And it's a very robust and stable technique. And, and that really aims to sort of cushion and provide these stable returns. And then there's another sort of technique that we've seen being seen used in the last couple of years that I really like, and that's called mean variance optimization. And that's just really a fancy way of saying, I'm going to find the best allocation that's going to give me the highest possible return with the lowest risk. And the way I think about that is, you know, that's almost like a car with power steering and you've got lane warnings, you've got all these fancy new technologies. So this mean variance optimization is always finding you the best portfolio. And it's like a modern car that you know, helps you get from A to B. You think about the old 60-40, you know, that's almost like a car with no power steering. 
You know, it's hard to turn. You've got no lane changing systems. So that's an old technique. So, you know, what a lot of the clients are actually very lucky to benefit from these new techniques, such as mean virus optimization, got all these wonderful features to really help get you very stable returns and get your clients what they need, help them hit these singles and provide those cushions, stable returns. Awesome. Well, Lawrence, I, uh, I thank you so much for your time. People like Lawrence are behind the scenes doing this work and helping us bring these new creative and innovative ideas to you clients out there at the end to give you more predictability, to give you some safe money alternatives, to help you be able to enjoy your retirement without panicking and watching the market every day to see what's going to happen. So we were very lucky to again to have Lawrence Black, the founder of the Index Standard on today. If you have questions about index annuities or about safe money alternatives, and you'd like to talk to us, you can reach me at 832-506-9034, where you can email me at keith at steadfastws.com. Also, go to our website. We just did an interview with the Top 100 Financial Advisor Magazine. We were excited to be chosen. That interview is now up on there. We're on our Facebook page, and you can check that out. So one more time, thank you, Lawrence, for being a part of this, and we hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All securities discussed are offered and provided through Steadfast Financial Planning, LLC. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and or qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.